can you believe how generous people are with their time? Nope. It blows my mind that we can email Dr. Aldi out of the blue and he's willing to give us an hour of his time yeah, for the podcast. That was such an awesome interview. Some well, good information in there. Oh my goodness. That's great. And uh, I found it pretty helpful too because he didn't see much on NEG either. It seems like there's pretty much universal agreement that the negative on the LD resolution is a pretty bad, bad case. But today I emailed another guy, uh, Zach Doffman. He's the CEO of Digital Barriers, and he's going to come on and help us with the public forum resolution. Which we could definitely use. We definitely could. This is could. Not our area of expertise. <laughs> no, it is not. I, I, I've reached out to a couple other people, and they were not willing to come on the show and talk about it. Hmm. I, I think there's something about we're, we're getting into a bit more sensitive areas where people aren't quite as willing to speak openly about cyber operations. Really? Uh, this of all things. Of all, well, it, it's there's. I was reading one article. Uh, had a it was a, an army officer who apparently said, or a former CIA officer who said he was really afraid that they would not even be able to use the phrase cyber operations or cybersecurity because for a long time this has been locked behind the label of national security, top secret, mm. uh, sensitive eyes only. That that sort of labeling to protect sensitive information. So that's changed. Uh, President Trump has overseen the, the creation of a cyber command, and there's been a lot more cyber activity in recent years, but that's still pretty new. So I'm, I don't know, because I, I can kind of see how it would be a sensitive topic, but based on all the other things we've talked about, it's kind of interesting to me that this, of all things, is the one that we're not getting too many responses for. But I am grateful for the one response we do have, and I'm very excited for that interview. It, it will um, be very exciting. It'll be, I, I think he's going to be – He's uh, Zach has written uh, – I, I saw at least four articles for Forbes on different cybersecurity-related uh, topics. I'm particularly hyped up after that last one. So Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of What's the Res, an ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. I'm one of your hosts today, Josh Herring. And I'm your other host, Ethan Delves. Today, we're here to talk about the November-December public forum resolution for 2019. Ethan, what's the res? The benefits of the United States federal government's use of offensive cyber operations outweigh the harms. All right, so we've got a, uh, a solid resolution. I, I like the obvious weighing resolutions where we're looking yes. at benefits versus harm. Those are my favorite types of resolutions. I've always loved the weighing ones because it, it makes for such a good final focus speech. And I don't know, because a lot of people like to come out in the final focus and do a ton of nitty-gritty statistical stuff, but when it's a weighing resolution, you really can't do that. You just get straight to voters. And it, it's, it's so much no. better for persuading the judge, honestly. Well, and it, it takes out one of the, the hardest things about strategy, right? Like, what framework should we go with? Should oh, we yeah. be calculating the number of lives? Should we do, like, a lives impact calculation? Like should a we global politics sort of impact and, like, right. tensions between different countries? We're going to somehow spread democracy through affirming today's resolution or, yeah. and so on. This just really takes it out. It makes it much more about... Who can stack up the more benefits versus the harms? So, yeah, I think it's a good resolution, especially because it's a weighing one. Do you, uh, do you see, let's, let, let's, well, go ahead. What were you going to say? I didn't mean no, to cut you I, off. No, no, you're good. Go, go, go ahead. All right. Do you see, what do you see in the resolution initially? And then we'll kind of go through key terms and basic arguments. Offensive. That's the number one thing that sticks out to me because, um, I think it was actually around this time, about two years ago, we had a resolution that was sort of similar about the Internet of Things and the harms to personal privacy, which I can kind of, I can feel the undertones of that bringing in or coming into this resolution. Definitely. There was nothing about offensive cyber operations. And that word offensive sticks out to me because it's it's kind of harkening to the fact that we're in a really modern age and now we have 
like we didn't before. Now we have the ability to use our technology as a country for the purpose of keeping ourselves preemptively safe and not necessarily as a retaliation to anything. But it's just that, I mean, we've come so far advanced that now there's so many more different options when it comes to national security. And, I mean, the implications of that are... I, I actually was just reading something. It makes me think it's almost like the implications of this are the tech version of um, building nuclear weapons was before. Walk us through what you're seeing there. So I, I don't want to get too much into arguments before we actually dig into the, the benefits and the harms and the aff and the neg, or I guess the pro and the con because it's public forum. But what it seems like, or from what I've read so far, is that the, the use of offensive cyber operations requires a lot of, not necessarily research and development, but it requires a lot of development on the technological side of things to the point where you need to invest a lot of resources in creating more offensive cyber operations. And once you have those, it can be used as a deterrent against other countries. It can be used as a protective measure, but, most, but mostly to preemptively, I guess, attack someone else or to discover things before, sure. before they actually So the, really then the, the comparison you're seeing there is the, really the, the threat, not the implementation. It's so the much. threat, but it's the fact that if we start building more of these things and other countries are going to start building more of these things because we're, beginning, we're becoming more offensive, they're becoming more offensive, right, which right. is like the arms race where yeah. we're building more nuclear weapons, other countries build more nuclear weapons, and then it becomes this massive you know, arms race into something else. Now, I think the, the, there's not a ton of definitions stuff you could go with on this. I, I, I tried to look at, to see if I could find a working definition of cyber operations, and it was surprisingly hard to track down. Uh, I think cyber operations is a general term that is describing uh, really the attempt to work with another country's internet stuff. That's about the extent of our vocabulary there. I, I mean, really, because it, it's just such a broad term. This, there are some instances where this refers to kind of hacking. There's other places where this refers to getting people's information like out. intelligence kind yep. of things. And yeah. this could also refer to literally shutting down the, uh, the electrical grid of an opposing country. This could, uh, and, and then if you expand this thing about how many different objects we have made be, to be internet capable. I think this is where we're talking earlier about the, the internet of things argument. This is really growing out of that in a big way. I mean, that, that's also part of this, that cyber operations can look like a lot of different things. And we'll get into a couple specifics here in a little bit. Um, but I, I think that's really, I mean, so, but we're talking offensive there, of course, we're getting, we're, we're not just waiting to be attacked and then respond. Which, which makes the resolution a lot it has a, more, a lot more ground in each side because if it was just cyber operations, you can't really have a country or at least a developed country in the modern world that doesn't have some sort of cybersecurity. So throwing that word offensive in there really gives the neg a lot more ground mm -hmm. um, to, to go against the AF because otherwise it would just be a neg-heavy debate. Which I guess that's true. I hadn't thought about that because really then we're not debating whether we should have cyber operations or not. Or that's because that would be affirmative arguing for the status quo. Yeah, but what we really are arguing is whether we should have offensive cyber operations. Which I think that's cooler. I think there's a lot more, like a lot cooler things you could do with that. I mean, the, sh the shutting down of the electrical grid you were just talking about. I mean, that's because that gives you that raises the question: who's making these decisions, and when have these decisions been made wrongly? Which you're not going to have too many right, examples right. of because this haven't hasn't been around for so long. So maybe historical precedence isn't going to be as much of a hold as much weight in this resolution. But I think what will hold a lot of weight is the potential and the capabilities of this type of technology for the future and keeping the United States in this case safe. I think that's true, and that, that's probably, I assume that's probably the major benefit. That's the first big benefit that's going to be there. 
any other general resolution thoughts? Um, no, besides the fact that it's a weighing resolution, which is good, and I like that a lot. So there's going to be a lot of impact weighing mm -hmm. and kind of just stacking up these different benefits and different right. arms. And I think there's plenty on both sides. There's so, two complete grounds on both sides. Now, just in case we have any novices who are listening to this, and they may not have seen this kind of resolution before, it may be worth pointing out that the public forum, the, uh, the, the NSDA resolution committee, they like putting together weighing resolutions for public forum, I think. We see this pretty frequently. And the weighing idea there is really key in that you it, it gives you an inherent framework by which to tell the judge who wins the round. And so Pro, in this case, is trying to stack up benefits on their side of the scale. And the outweigh metaphor is, is key. Whereas Con is trying to stack up harms. And it really becomes a way of saying, how, you, how can you show the judge that your benefits or harms outweigh the opposing side? Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. I think that's good. So, well, with that, I, uh, I thought it might be worth just at least thinking together for a moment about the status quo and how have we arrived at a point where we're discussing, uh, discussing offensive cyber operations. I think part of this has a lot to do with the spread of technology and the spread of the Internet and really the change over the last 10, 20, 30 years as we move from a paper society uh, to a paperless society, the Internet has become so it's become necessary. It's a part of every major operation. And that's not just part of the developed world. That's really part of like the entire globe. When you get into cities, uh, that's not just America and Europe. That's part of that's Asia as well. And so when you have the Internet there, you create uh, really a dependency on it. And that dependency has created its own kind of vulnerability to cyber attack. Uh, so I was looking at one article that was uh, addressing a conference in Aspen uh, in 2018, where um, the representative from Microsoft said he there had been they had detected 800 different attempts to hack American businesses. In, in what time span? In, within the previous year. Wow, I so, would have expected more, but that's still a lot. Well, I mean, that's that's particularly focused on, that's private sector, and that's particularly focused on kind of internal stuff. But I think part of what we're dealing with when we consider cyber operations is that we have a new field of warfare, in a sense. And it's it's warfare that is in, can be internal and can look an awful lot like a bizarre form of domestic terrorism. Hmm. But you can also have this, this is a... This is a space where the for a modern military has to be prepared to operate in this space to both intimidate, as you were saying earlier, with the, the nuclear comparison, or also to really win the win the field. Explain that domestic terrorism thing a little more. So I'm thinking there of uh, groups like. Um, so I'm thinking they're primarily of ISIS because uh, ISIS made particularly uh, effective use of the internet for propaganda and recruitment. So. When we think of terrorism, we're usually thinking of specific physical assault and attack. But there's an equal, there's an opportunity there for cyber terrorism or cyber attack where what happens when we have a, a domestic terror? So say you have a, an ISIS recruit. Uh, if ISIS had changed their strategy, instead of trying to get people to move to Syria and become ISIS disciples, they instead had, okay, stay where you are and learn the coding skills to hack your local bank and make ATMs spit out cash and create chaos so the people are going nuts. 
or disrupt or shut off the electrical grid to the local hospital so that everyone who's on life support dies, all the surgeries go wrong. And again, it creates chaos. Or what if you could have somebody who could get into the internal grid of the, uh, the traffic light system in a major city? Could you imagine going through Raleigh and suddenly someone played... Has that happened before? I, not that I'm aware of, but I'm confident that the possibility like a, That sounds exists. like a very cinematic kind of in a movie type thing. It, it certainly could be. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've seen that played out in an episode of 24 somewhere there we along go. the way. Yeah. That's I, a, I was we, wondering if you came up with that or not. But, I, mean, but I, I think it's, it's plausible. Here's another thing. You were just talking about how ISIS used social media to help get their recruits, or I guess even the majority of their recruits. Do you think that since the resolution is specifically worded towards the U United States federal government's use of offensive cyber operations, that there would be interference with private tech companies or private media companies like Facebook and all of these platforms that ISIS would use, how is the U.S. federal go government going to break into that Man. area? And I, I can see that as an easy harm on Neg. I, I think so. Some overreach I mean, of the government there, maybe. I, I think that's a, that's really easy to suggest and to spell out, and I suspect that's going to be really difficult to prove. Warrant's going to be everything on that kind of argument because I mean, that just brings up my inner conspiracy theories. And AF can totally weigh that to their side. They're like, yeah, maybe people's privacy, were, or maybe the government will be looking at your social media profile, but we're going to stop a terrorist attack, you know? Right, right. Which, But that that's a real harm, and that depending on who makes up the Supreme Court, which right now is a conservative majority, they're likely to rule in favor of privacy concerns rather than an overreach of government authority there. Well, with that, so I think that's that's kind of the, the context I thought it might be worth kind of setting this resolution in. Um, any thoughts on specific benefits that you see in this resolution? I want, I think on a firm, or sorry, still using LD language, I think on pro, the coolest thing to do would just ma be making a list of all of the craziest things that we're able to do offensively. For of all the things that we can do with our offensive cyber operations, I think shutting off electrical grids would be a crazy thing. If we could just completely, from the other side of the world, shut down an organization that's about to do something bad, and we could even, and the way we'd find out about them doing those thing, illegal things would be through offensive cyber operations where we gather intelligence and we could preemptively stop attacks or attacks within another nation. Um, so, which we have done that sort of thing. I yes. don't know if you remember this, but it was not that long ago where um, Iran attacked two oil tankers in the Gulf. Yes, and I uh, and President Trump announced that he was weighing the options between a physical strike versus a cyber strike. Was it is how long ago was that? I thought that was in. Uh, I thought that six was over. Months? It's not long ago. In the Gulf of Mexico, not the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, the I was about. To, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Persian That's Gulf. what I thought. Okay. Yeah. But he was weighing the opera or the uh, between, options between yeah, a cyber attack and, and a physical and attack. Ended up, he chose a cyber attack, and we effectively executed a cyber attack on Iran that was in retribution for their uh, for their physical attack on these tankers. I can easily see a benefit weighed to affirmative for the amount of lives we could save, or at least American lives that we could save, mm -hmm. and we could pull our troops out of this area. We could save some, not necessarily save military funding because it would cause that money would just go towards more cyber operations. So maybe there's an expense on Neg to be considered there, but. Um, I can easily see a lives benefit or a human life benefit weighing towards the affirmative side. 
Now, Ethan, I think that's a good point. And I could also see on here a good benefit focusing on the development of a better policing of domestic hacking. Can you elaborate on that a little? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've become more interested, maybe as we've started to actually accumulate more than like a dollar in the bank at the end of each month. I've been more attuned to the fact that there are an awful lot of data breaches and uh, hacking of, indiv of individual bank accounts. Just as those two that I've seen happen, uh, Wells Fargo had a huge data breach. They're now paying millions and millions of dollars in mm -hmm. settlement. Well, this if we develop the skills at the federal government level to do offensive cyber operations, I suspect what we'll eventually see is a trickle-down effect where that's going to show that law enforcement even at the state and local level, eventually needs to catch up and do a better job policing cybercrime. Which is one great thing about this resolution is that it doesn't say anything about the military. And I think everyone's first reaction is to run to the military and talk about um, different you know, military uses for this type of thing, like we were talking about for the past 16 minutes. But there's so many domestic benefits, too. That, I mean, we could stop domestic attacks or terrorist attacks and not just you know, know about them in advance as far as an international level goes. And I mean, protecting our money is kind of important. And it really it, does so kind of keep do you think the economy that there's more, more strong. Do you think there's more domestic benefits or international benefits? I would see for, now particularly we focus just on the resolution, offensive cyber operations at the federal level, that's going to create far more international benefits because and it's gonna be really the same, I think part of what we're dealing with I keep wanting to see this as basically an extension of our military's current action into a cyber arena. How would we even have offensive cyber operations on a local level? Like we would just have the cyber sheriff come well, to town it, and just not, not necessarily, us. but it would be I mean, on a local level. I could see police departments eventually seeing this happen on the military sphere. And then realizing if you have, say, for example, if you have Los Angeles or Atlanta or New York City, places that are huge and have so much money flowing in, if they have a continual issue with cybercrime, they would begin recruiting and staffing people who presumably meet all the other requirements of being a police officer, but whose specialty really is cybercrime. Because uh, cybercrime, like any other crime, is going to fall into some level of predictable pattern. And once, it's once you discern that pattern, it becomes policeable. So if cybercrime is a, if it's an international problem, that's handled in one way. But if it's also a local problem, the these two things don't have to oppose each other. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a ton of different stories you could tell on Pro. There's, a, there's an entire international benefits, um, I mean, domestic benefits. I, I almost think it's, there's just, too many directions to go. I think there's too much opportunity on this resolution. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but my what I try to do is always mix it a little bit. I want some domestic benefits. I want some international, or I guess military is a better word for that, some military benefits as far as the federal government's control goes. But I, I know some people kind of like to hone in on that idea of just going military benefits or just going domestic benefits. And I think any of those three options would work really well with this resolution. There's just so much opportunity, especially for AF. And there's got to be tons of evidence out there for how we could better protect our funds, how we could better um, fund our military in the cyber operations world, our previous successes. Well, it's, with the it's probably at least worth have. mentioning that we're already in the middle of, the, there is a cyber command that I, I'm not entirely sure how it's related to the rest of the military, but the Department of Defense has issued a policy on cyber operations. The Pentagon is actively considering cyber operations. This is an area our military is moving towards. 
Well, I, I think I think that's about all I've got on aft you have, or on pro. Any other thoughts on pro? Um, I think the last thing is just raising awareness of digital digital and virtual vulnerabilities, like the Internet of Things. And I, I don't see that as big of an impact, but I think it's still significant. It could be it, an important thing to consider. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly if, if we do have – if there's a downside to plugging everything into the Internet, it's worth knowing that downside. It may be the case that this forces uh, certain fields to consider perhaps we need to not have the electrical grid for hospitals on the connected to the internet. Maybe maybe there's a maybe that forces us to develop technology into different areas to avoid some of those vulnerabilities. Can you imagine people's medical information just floating around and then some, oh someone goodness. gets a hold of it that shouldn't yes. have hold of yes, it? Yes, I can. Medical information, financial information, well, everything. I mean, that kind of that's that, kind of scary. That reminds me of the uh, the the last election where. I mean, there were there were there both parties accused each other of hacking. The Democratic Party had a particular issue with a lot of Hillary Clinton's information the being hacked. Yeah, yeah. All right. that that sort of stuff becomes really important when you're dealing with close decisions. Now, again, we're not talking about the immediate physical devastation of a dirty bomb being uh, set off in Times Square. But these are real harms that, that could disrupt people's lives. I was just talking with uh, one of my friends earlier, and I was saying how I got annoyed when I was watching YouTube because so many of the ads would pop up, and every single one of my ads was about Keurig because I love coffee, and I searched lots of things about coffee on my phone. So Google picked up on it, and what do you know? I get four Keurig ads in the same video. Of course you do. And he was saying that that's a great thing because he loves his, his account to be personalized. He loves all of the products that he would want to buy to just be shown to him, and he's like, what's wrong with that? I mean, now I know all the different products on the market. I know the pricing. Hopefully I could get a discount if I saw this or watched this. You know what I mean? Right, but, right. And I know this isn't completely related, but it's sort of related. And I also talked to one of my other friends, and he was saying how uncomfortable he was with that fact, with Google knowing what he wants and what he likes. People are testing this thing with Google Chrome on their computers where they have Chrome open or, or like running, and then they talk about something for about five minutes, and they open it up, and there's so many ads about that one thing. And I tried it, and it worked. And it's a little bit concerning because I have a Google Home in my room, so I basically just have like another human being listening to everything. Did I you say really in there. just call Google another human being? I mean, it's listening to me and it's interacting with me at a very, yeah, no, but no, it's no. not a human. Ethan, you're about to fail my philosophy class on the podcast. Okay, just right. a, a program that listens to you and orders you stuff does not constitute a human being. It's getting closer and closer. Well, I, I think than further. I, I'm definitely with your friend who was uncomfortable on that one. I'm, I am quite bothered by how much of our data is used and is really commodified because now I'm not a oh, huge yeah. Marxist by any stretch, but I do think Karl Marx was on to something about the uh, there are some things that should not be commodified, but the free market does not really care about what should and should not be commodified. The free market thinks about how can I sell stuff? Corporations, businesses want to sell as much stuff as possible, and technology is developing in a way that's really good at targeting people. Uh, and I've, I, it's almost irritating to realize, wow, the Facebook algorithm did correctly identify me as someone who would click on that link. Yeah, it's disturbing. Well, let's let's get into some of the harms because we have spent quite a bit of time on benefits. 
Uh, I think you already identified the first harm the I thought of. race earlier. mentality. Yeah, yeah, that's a dangerous kind of thing to get into. It is, but you know, other people are going to do it anyways, and that's the that's the argument that anyone's going to bring up in the debate to begin with. Well, they are, but the the harm. Uh, I know we were looking earlier at the uh, the Kennedy Center. Uh, is that right? Is it the Kennedy the Center? Center. The Belfer Center is part of Harvard's yeah. Kennedy School. The Belfer Center has this policy brief entitled "Why Cyber Operations Do Not Always Fool the Offense." Favor the offense. Favor the yeah. offense. Thank you. Uh, it's from February 2017, written by Rebecca Slayton. Um, that paper suggested that, in fact, what most of the skills necessary, uh, when we're talking about cyber operations, it, the defense and offense options are very, very similar. So in which case, if that's correct, then we could develop all the necessary skills for offense, but with a defensive mentality, meaning we're not trying to attack the other country. We just want to be able to that protect our country. That kind of idea that a, the best defense is a good offense or something like that. I think it goes the other way around, but honestly. Like, yeah, the, the saying like, means the other thing. Yeah, yeah. but it, it does seem like if we um, increase our ability to use offensive cyber operations that we're going to be less likely to be messed with. But again, that, well, that kind of brings the arm race, arms race mentality into play. But I really don't think the United States refraining from – or not refraining – the harms outweighing the benefits, just going to stick with the resolution context here, is going to stop any other, other country from implementing this. Well, what it it, it might, seems like a natural progression. Almost. What it might do, and this again is part of what that article suggests, is it might actually complicate our relations, relationships with other countries. I think that's inevitable. I don't think, I think the arms race mentality is like a, it's a now you're already contesting argument. the harm side. We yes. need to make sure we give the harm side. We need to make sure we do help equip people who get who lose the coin toss and go neg or go oh go con All on right. this. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead. I would at least suggest that the con side would be would do well to adopt a general diplomatic stance and suggest that what we actually need to be able to do we do need to, as Teddy Roosevelt famously said, uh, we need to walk softly and carry a big stick. But we can carry a big stick that is purely used for defense. If we affirm the resolution and go on offense, well, then we make it much harder to come to the diplomatic table and work together to find a common solution. So, for example, not that I'm suggesting the United States needs to immediately make peace with Iran, but attacking Iran with our own cyber attack does make it more difficult for us to then go, well, now, Iran, now that we killed your electrical grid, let's be friends. Yeah. It makes it harder there. So which I think may which certainly counts as a harm. I can see that now after you put it in context a little bit. How about you explain this second one on the outline here? It says industrial military complex carried into the digital world. So I'm not sure I understand yeah, entirely what that means. Um, and this is not an idea I've explored a ton. So, but I think it is something that once debaters capture the heart of the idea, they can find lots of evidence on this. But the the uh, the phrase the industrial military complex goes back to a uh, pretty famous essay from I think the 1950s or 60s. But it, it was labeling President Eisenhower's transition from World War II American economy to a post-World War II economy. Well, the trouble is during World War II, we ramped up our production of military stuff and we expanded the military to this huge level. Well, it's really hard to scale that back down. Since then, we have had a, the American military has had a vested interest at staying really, really large. And we justify that. We justify, the, we justify the size of our military and the amount of money our country spends on military research and development and uh, technology development for military stuff. We justify it as if we are 
about to be attacked by somebody, but we don't have an opponent that is at the same size or scale that we are necessarily. Russia and China are the current two that maybe we could be engaged in a hot war with. But in reality, we have small skirmishes, but we maintain this huge network of global military bases. That's the military-industrial complex. Like one harm could be that if we then go all in on offensive cyber operations and we scale up to suggest that the United States should be the leader in offensive cyber operations globally, well, this means we then have to always be increasing our offensive capacity. We have to always be adding more people, adding more personnel, all of which requires additional funding, and this becomes another huge wing of the American military. That's the argument, and that, that, that becomes a harm, uh, especially if it could be done in a different way or it could be done with existing resources, and it, it lets us bring in, you could then add in all the harms of expanding the government debt and additional federal spending and all those things we've talked about several other times. Okay, makes sense. Okay, uh, all right. Uh, all right. Uh, any thoughts on the next argument? I'm going to skip to privacy concerns okay, because that's definitely something I've debated a little bit more about with the whole Internet of Things and mm -hmm. harms of personal privacy resolution, which, for the record, was my favorite resolution I've ever debated. And it was public forum, which is, um, not, I guess, not expected because I really like LD. But I can definitely see this is, a, this is going directly against the affirmatives benefits side of things where they're talking about the, the benefits for... Um, domestic offensive cyber operations. So this is particularly where that negative harm would, would lie, where we're talking about privacy concerns specifically for US citizens or people in the United States. Um, that thing I said earlier, kind of relating to the private companies and how the US federal government's gonna interact on a digital level with those, with those companies, where I can easily see the United States federal government overstepping where they need to be and getting access to information that people don't necessarily want them to have and they wouldn't be willing to trade their privacy for, especially if there's not gonna be a large benefit to that sort of thing. I think that's a great place for negative to go because there's not too, I don't, at least I don't think, there's a vast amount of evidence suggesting that the United States federal government stepping into those areas has stopped X, Y, and Z, or has benefited us, at least in the domestic field, X, Y, and Z. So I think privacy is actually a really good argument for, for at least, weighing against the affirmative or pro-benefits in the area of domestic protection. The privacy concerns does also let you bring in a constitutional argument as well, because there is a huge amount of case law affirming that the, I think it's the Fourth Amendment, establishes the American citizen as having a right to expect a reasonable right of privacy. And the question here, the privacy concern argument can easily I mean, I'm, you could make the argument badly, but I think there's a there's a good way to phrase the, a plausible slippery slope argument, because you could easily make the argument that while the right to expand surveillance of the internet for the the ability of offensive cyber operations might be granted for the best of intentions to oppose Chinese cyber operations or to retaliate to Russian interference in something some something of that nature. Well, where does it stop? At what point is the United States federal government literally surveilling private citizens and violating constitutionally protected rights of citizens in the interest of defense or offense in this case, but still violating those rights nonetheless? Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, privacy is a great, at least a great refutation on negative yeah. for, towards the affirmative um, domestic concerns. I think one more argument that I see on there at least is once again kind of bringing in some of the military arguments into this space. 
Because there's a solid argument, I think, that the United States has established a global military presence unnecessarily. It made sense in 1945 for us to have troops in Germany and Japan. Uh, and But the argument has been made by a lot of folks between then and now that we actually don't need to police the world. And yet we do. And we provide a level of global security and global maintenance of the status quo, but at the cost to the American taxpayer, and that this is a huge part of our national expenses. Well, I think you could make that, you could make similar arguments to uh, the uh, use of offensive cyber operations. That, and really, this would require the NEG, I think, to be persuasive at all. You would need to double down on defense and then be able to show that defense is sufficient to defend the country, but we don't actually need to be worried about going and harming other countries with our cyber operations. That's an interesting path on NEG that I didn't think about. Instead of rejecting offensive cyber operations, you could embrace defensive cyber operations and say why they're sufficient and what all of that entails. And I think there's a lot more evidence on that side because I'm, I'm guessing that we have more examples and evidence related to defensive cyber operations that we do offensive, perhaps, because this is something at least being considered not to be implemented, but to be increased or more thoroughly considered. And it's not like NEG is just completely against anything cyber operations either. So embracing defensive cyber operations sounds great. I mean, we can take care of ourselves. We don't need to spend our money taking care of other countries or sorting through these specific um, concerns, but I think Affirmative would have a good ground to come back and say offensive cyber operations aren't just for international things. They can still be used to help protect us in a way. And it, I, maybe there's even some a place for definitions to kind of sort out what exactly is offensive versus defensive, because when you're thinking about a defensive cyber operation, there is a sense in which you need to be offensive and going out to search for certain things or looking for certain things. So I don't know where you would draw the line between offense and defense there. That's that's actually kind of seems a little difficult. Well, uh, it'll be interesting as uh, we've got a few team, few folks on our team that are going to be writing cases on this over the next few weeks, and we'll take those cases out on November 9th, and we'll we'll see how it goes. Uh, well. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we hope this episode has been helpful to you as you are preparing your cases for competition in November and December on this resolution. Uh, this is not our area of expertise, but do be sure to uh, check our website or check our social media feeds or whichever uh, app you listen to us on, uh, because on November 7th, I'll be interviewing Zach Doffman, the CEO of Digital Barriers, a global cybersecurity company, and he's going to lend us his expertise. I, I hope we provided some uh, notes towards general strategy on this resolution, uh, but uh, we, we recognize this has not been our normal, uh, very factual, very well-researched uh, episode, but we hope that these, uh, these strategies strategy notes are helpful to you. And uh, if you like what you've heard on this episode, do let us know. We'd love to hear from you at our website. Uh, that's whatstheres at gmail.com. You could also check out our website at www.whatstheres.com, or you could find us on all of our social media pages. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash whatstheres. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit with the handle at whatstheres underscore. And just in case you need more debate in your life, Ethan, where can folks find some more debate? For some more debate, you go to our whatstherez.podbean. What is it? Whatstherez.podbean.com slash premium. Just go to, just go to the, our normal website. I put a banner there. If you want to listen to some premium debates, uh, you can go to www.whatstherez.com and just click the link right in front of you. That's so it. you don't need to memorize the long one. And I think that's it. Yep. Until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek the truth.